Well, it's great to be back with you again here in New Buildings, and uh, I would just like to thank Jonathan for his invitation to come along tonight and every night this week to uh, bring a word from Ephesians chapter 6. Um, I was just thinking there, I can't ever remember a time when I didn't know Jonathan. Um, I grew up basically looking across the fields at his house, less than a mile away probably across the fields when we went to the same school, I think, and all. Um, he's a few years younger than me, I'm sure you could guess that, um, but uh, I just uh, thank him again for inviting me along uh, this evening. I want to turn, obviously, then tonight to Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, we'll begin to read at the verse 10. Um, we're now, we've come now to the concluding part of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, which also may have been sent to all the churches in Asia Minor uh, at that time. And uh, Ephesians 6 and the verse 10, and it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armour of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. And certainly that would be my prayer, and I hope that is your prayer for me this week, that I too will speak boldly as I ought to speak. You know, God has a wonderful plan for your life, or Come and receive your best life now or come to Jesus and all your problems will be over. It, those seems to be the messages that we hear from many TV preachers and false prophets today. Some hymns actually and some choruses seem to confirm that type of teaching like the one which begins, I am so happy and here's the reason why, and the one that ends, and now I am happy all the day. But as believers tonight, we know that when we begin to walk the narrow way, that is simply not the case, nor is it what the scriptures teach us. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, The first thing we have to realize is that the Christian life is a warfare. 
that we are strangers in an alien land, that we are in the enemy's territory. The teaching which gives the impression that the pathway to glory is all easy and simple and smooth is not Christianity. Amy Carmichael, and that girl should have known, she said, you'll not follow the Lord too far without a scar. When a lost soul confesses and repents and trusts in Christ for salvation, they are reconciled with God. Their iniquities which cause separation between them and God and their sins which have hid their face from him, they are finally dealt with. The believer is then cleansed from all sin in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They may not feel saved at the time, but they will be saved. Others have testified of experiencing a great burden being lifted from them and have experienced a great joy that has lasted for weeks and even months. But eventually the reality of being a child of God, living in a world that hates God, it kicks in and it hits home hard. And as a result, far from living on a mountain underneath a cloudless sky, And then they will know the misery of doubt and guilt and conviction of sin and misunderstanding and opposition like never before. Now this can all be a shock to the system, especially to a new convert. But the Bible reminds us that this is what we are to expect. Because we have entered a battlefield and not a play park. And very few of the Lord's people are armed, equipped and prepared and ready to fight in the spiritual war. Jesus told his disciples, in the world... Ye shall have tribulation. In other words, it is to be expected, gentlemen, because this is what you have signed up for. Most of those men, as you know, died as martyrs for Christ. They had entered a battlefield, and they had given their lives for the only cause that that was really worth fighting for. The Apostle Paul told the church uh, that he had established, he said, that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Of God. But this is not necessarily a bad thing. Stephen Lawson said, The church has always thrived more under persecution than prosperity. And these may well be good days for us. John MacArthur says, The only way you can have your best life now is if you're going to hell later on. When we are born again, we enlist as soldiers in the Lord's army. And we are suddenly finding ourselves in the midst of a fierce war. And how we perform in this great spiritual battle depends upon how we are equipped. In these verses, Paul teaches us about the armor that God has provided for his people. It is his equipment for us, his provision for us, and we must put it on. But before we examine the armor of God... We must understand, first of all, why God supplies this armour and why this armour is needed. First of all, we must understand there is an enemy to face. So why do we find ourselves in such a battle and why in the spiritual life do we struggle so much? Well, the answer is to be found here in verse 11 of this chapter because we are up against the wiles or the scheming tricks of the devil. We have an enemy in charge of an army of demons. Verse 12 tells us our fight is against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. This 
basically as Satan and his demons, the sum total and vast array of evil and malicious spirits in the unseen realms which opposes everything and anything to do with God. This enemy hates God, and their mission is to steal the glory of God and destabilize his kingdom. And one of the ways he does this is by attacking the children of God. Satan is not omnipresent, but Satan has posted his demons in every corner of the world. We should be glad that his realm is unseen because this is no ordinary enemy. The conflict between Russia and Ukraine at the moment is confined to a very small part of Eastern Europe. But the devil's power and influence is so awesome tonight that it spans the whole world. It does, we must understand that. Paul called him the God of this world. The Lord Jesus Christ said he was the prince of this world. And as we approach the climax of world history, the devil not only has his demons in place, not only has he his false preachers in place, but he also has his political leaders in place. Like Pharaoh in Egypt, every one of them support the murder, the killing of unborn babies. We have Biden in America. We have Trudeau in Canada. We have a Hindu prime minister in Westminster. Shortly, we'll have a Muslim first minister in Scotland. We have a terrorist supporter as first minister in Stormont. And there is a sodomite Taoiseach in Dublin. The godly kings in Judah did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord when they took away the sodomites out of the land. But here we make them kings in the land. Many today dismiss any idea of a devil as medieval nonsense. But the Bible tells us he has been around for thousands of years. And so he is an extremely experienced opponent. God's word has a number of names for this enemy. He is called Satan, Beelzebub, Belial, the devil. He's referred to as a deceiver, a thief, an adversary, the wicked one, a murderer, a liar, and an accuser of the brethren. Isaiah 14 calls him Lucifer. He was originally an angel who desired to become greater than God, and so he exalted himself high above the throne of God. But his pride led to his downfall, and he was cast out of heaven, out of heaven with one third of the angels. Those fallen angels are now demons, and since then the devil and his demons have set themselves up to disrupt the work of God and to an attempt to rob him of his glory. We see him first of all, of course, in the Garden of Eden, and through temptation he caused Adam and Eve to rebel against God. And the consequences of their disobedience has affected the entire human race ever since that day. Through Adam, we are all infected with the sin disease. We are born in sin. It's in our nature to sin. We practice sin and we choose to sin. And as a result, the whole world is under the control of the devil. The Bible says the whole world lieth in wickedness. The God of this world controls all of mankind. He is the master and we are born his children. You see, God has no righteous children born into this world. That's why we must be born again to become the adopted sons of God. Despite what some religious leaders say today, we are certainly not all God's children. Jesus told the religious people 2,000 years ago, he said, you are of your father the devil. It is men's sinfulness that accounts for the great hold that the devil has upon them today. 
You know, he doesn't just stand over his children with a whip and make them obey him. He simply lets the sin that controls him take its course, and that is enough. He is so crafty that most of his slaves don't even realize that he exists. Spiritual warfare is the believer recognizing his weakness and throwing himself completely upon God and depending in his power and walking in Christ's likeness. In other words, he puts on the whole armor of God. When this happens, the devil might slander you, he might crucify you, he might even burn you at the stake, but he will never tarnish your testimony. Either way, he is the ruler of many lost souls caught up in many of the world's false religions that the devil has invented to keep people away from the only way, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is God's answer to all of this? Well, the Lord Jesus gives it in the parable that he told in Luke's Gospel in the chapter 11, verses 21 to 22. And it says, When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. The strong man, of course, is the devil. Men and women are his goods, and Jesus himself is the one who is stronger than he. And at Calvary, God in Christ broke the devil's hold upon mankind. The the Bible says in Hebrews, Through death he, that's Jesus, might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. When we came to Christ for salvation, not only were our sins forgiven, but the control of Satan on our lives was finally broken. Jesus Christ is now our Lord, and we are no longer slaves to sin. The devil is no longer, he has no longer any authority over us, or no control over us. He cannot command us to do anything. He certainly can tempt us, and he does it every day, but temptation is not compulsion. It's hard to believe that just over 160 years ago, Black folk in America, in the southern states of America, were still slaves. It's a horrible and horrific blight on American history. But just imagine a white plantation owner with a slave just before the Civil War. He owns that slave and he can order that slave to obey his every command. He can order him to pick the cotton, plough the fields, cut the sticks, feed the cattle. That poor unfortunate slave must obey because he has no freedom of his own. But then the day comes and that poor slave dies. His master can still issue the same orders, but now there is no response, there is no obedience. Why is that? Well, it's because the slave is dead and the the master's power has ceased. And this is what Paul meant in Romans chapter 6 and the verse 11, when he said, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Christian is dead to sin. Our old master, the devil, no longer has any authority over us. He is powerless to make us obey because we have a new master and Jesus Christ has set us free. But the devil doesn't give up so easily. He is defeated and he can never regain absolute power and authority over the souls that Christ has rescued. But he still makes war on us. And he still seeks to make our lives as difficult and as miserable as possible. If you're a Christian, 
I want you to understand tonight that the devil despises you. He is against you and every power of hell opposes you. That can be a frightening prospect and many have retreated to the trenches. You know, we live in a generation where every despicable and filthy, vile sin imaginable has come out of the closet. Whilst at the same time, it seems that many Christians have jumped into the closet and have locked the door of the closet and they cry, oh, please don't wake me up. Are we to surrender to every attack and temptation? Shall we buckle in fear and give in to this enemy? Well, no, because the devil can't touch us. The Bible says, He that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. You know, we're involved here in all-out war. The glory of God is at stake, and we have enlisted in heaven's army to fight. Just like schoolteacher recently, Enoch Burke, who lost his job for refusing to play along with the evil of transgenderism. And just like uh, the charity worker Isabel Vaughan Spruce, who was arrested for praying silently outside a building where they murder babies. My friend, we are at war here. And this war is about to get a whole lot worse. So God wants us to enter the battle and to fight. And even though we have no strength of our own, verse 10 says we can still be strong in the Lord. The strength of the Lord is already proved to be too strong for the powers of darkness. It is a trusted strength, it is a proven strength, and it can be our strength in Jesus Christ. Secondly, we must also understand that this enemy has tactics. Verse 11, it says, Put on the whole armour of God, that ye may be able to stand against what? Against the wiles of the devil. There have been many battles down through history, some big, some small, some short, some long. But the battle we are involved in is not just part of history, it is the whole of history. It has been raging since time began. The battle is between God's forces and Satan's forces. And when Christ came from heaven, he entered the battle to win it. The Bible says the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. From Bethlehem to Calvary, the battle raged. When the Lord Jesus was born, Satan used Herod to try and eliminate the Savior. And when he, that failed, Satan tried in a series of temptations to pull the Savior into sin. But of course, that also failed. The greatest conflict was on the cross when the final and complete victory of Christ was when he arose from the dead and where Satan's greatest weapons, death and the grave, were swallowed up in Christ's victory. So our ultimate victory is assured in this war. You see, we are not fighting for victory here. We are fighting from victory to maintain what Christ has already won. Christ has ascended into heaven, but his church is still on this earth, and we are in the midst of a war zone. The church is his body, consisting of his people, and so the conflict continues against the Christians. The believer has enlisted to be a soldier of Christ, to advance Christ's kingdom and to defeat the enemy. Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In ancient times, 
A common military tactic used was to break down the gates of an enemy fortress with a battering ram. And once inside that fortress, then you could destroy the defending army. And likewise, the Lord Jesus has told us that Satan is not able to prevent the onward march of Christianity. His gates will crumble and the church will win this war. Paul's mission to the Gentiles was to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. This is the task of every believer. And the more we serve the Lord and remain faithful to his word, then the more we will experience the devil's opposition. So you'll know very little about this battle if you watch television in the living room or if you play bowls in the church hall or if you spend hours on Facebook, or if you watch the latest Hollywood blockbuster in the cinema. But friend, the moment that you pray, the moment you open your Bible, the moment that you witness to a lost soul, the moment that you preach faithfully with boldness from the pulpit, from this word, then you will know that the battle is on. But crucially, we are not on our own. It is the Lord's battle, and he supplies us with divine strength. The armour is God's and it is invincible. The battle is the Lord's and he is almighty. And yet we are in this battle and we must be prepared to fight. During the Troubles, the terrorist did not wear a uniform. He was a coward. He blended into the community and he looked like everyone else. He didn't fight a clean fight and neither does the devil. He is crafty, cunning and devious and he is after you. The terrorist often watched the off-duty police officer for months and months before he finally put that bomb underneath the car. The devil also watches and waits for the right moment and then he sets his trap. He seeks to outwit. He is a master of lies. We must constantly be on our guard. The UDR soldier had to always watch his back. He was never off duty and neither are we. Friends, there are no days off in this war. There is no lull in this battle. As young soldiers, we were always warned about the honey trap when we were out for an evening. You see, the terrorists would have used their young women to lure young soldiers back to their flat or back to some uh, remote car park. But it was a trap. And the enemy was lurking in the shadows. And this is exactly what Satan does. And he has a plan to trick each one of us. He is like a wild animal that silently and shrewdly stalks its prey. And then suddenly, without warning, he will pounce. How often God's people are led into sin through something that seemed innocent and harmless at the time. And this is due to the wiles or the tricks of the devil. Sometimes this enemy of our souls will walk around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And at other times he will transform himself into an angel of light which is, believe it or not, far more deadly. You see, a a lion will put you on your guard but an angel will put you at your ease. He came to me one time as an angel of light and then he turned into a roaring lion and I can tell you this, it was the worst experience of my life. And I can tell you tonight, he is our very real enemy. And that's why God gives us the armor to defeat him. He came to Eve as an angel of light. Oh, he was full of concern and friendliness. 
And, you know, we have suffered the consequences ever since. He tricks our young people into immorality. He'll tell them that sex is fun and exciting, that you're missing out if you're not like the others. But he will fail to mention the guilt and the diseases and the unplanned pregnancies and the abortions. He tricks the unbeliever into thinking that they can make it to heaven all by, their, by themselves. But he won't tell them that there is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. He even tricks the believer into doubting God's faithfulness, even though God's word has said for thousands of years, the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. But no matter what disguise the enemy, the devil, comes in, it will be the truth of God that will expose him. No matter how clever or crafty he is, the devil will always be in conflict with the scriptures. You see, God's word is the light which exposes the ways of the devil. Paul refers to the truth of God twice in these verses. In verse 14, he speaks about the belt of truth, which is the word of God. And then in verse 17, he speaks about the sword of the spirit, which is also the truth of God's word. The enemy will never conform to the truth of God's word because everything about him rebels against God's truth. When we shine the spotlight of scripture on the the false teachings of the devil's religions around the world, we can quickly expose them for the frauds every one of them are. The ecumenical movement continues to gather pace and more and more and more we see world religious leaders coming together, whether it's for peace or climate change or COVID. The one world religious headquarters called the Abrahamic Family House has actually just been inaugurated just a few days ago on the 16th of February in Abu Dhabi. There's an area there for Catholicism, an area there for Islam, and an area there for Judaism. There's nothing there, of course, for the Bible believers because we won't have any part of that. Ecumenists believe that doctrine and Bible teaching divide people. Ministers and bishops in that system are like a group of men who join a golf club, but they want to play by the rules of tennis. Ecumenism is unity at the expense of truth, but the Bible says it is the truth that unites us to Christ. Jesus said we must worship in spirit and truth. He says that he is the truth, and it is the truth that will set men free. Ecumenism is one of the wiles of the devil, which is clearly exposed when the spotlight of God's word catches it like a rabbit in the headlights. Paul said in Romans chapter 16, verses 17 to 18, he said, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. You see, ecumenism can always be traced back to false teaching. False teachers will not preach Christ, and if you give anything or anyone preeminence over Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead, then you are an an apostate. Or you are in the unfortunate position at that very moment to be very like an apostate. It is heresy. And Paul said, a man that is a heretic, reject him. What we are taught and what we believe is of the utmost importance. 
it is therefore expected that Satan will use this tactic to attack us. If a man denies the deity of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, or salvation by grace alone through faith alone, then it is obvious he is a false teacher. But the Lord Jesus also told us to expect the wolves that will come in sheep's clothing. With these types of false teachers, it is not what they say, but what they don't say that will expose them. Paul tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but this does not mean that we never find ourselves being opposed by people. The best of saints have experienced opposition from friends and spouses and in-laws and work colleagues and even fellow churchgoers. I knew a lay preacher who was warned by some of his congregation not to be preaching any of that gospel stuff. They warned him not to be preaching anything about that born-again stuff. Otherwise, they would go across the road to the chapel. I say, let them go to the chapel. But this gospel must be preached. It must be preached. People will lie and cheat and hurt and hate and abuse and offend and stab us in the back. They will do the work of the enemy, but according to verse 12, they are not the enemy. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but the devil will use flesh and blood to fight us. And friends, when this happens, we must extend the same kind of love and grace to them as Christ has shown to us. Satan would love us to lash out in a way that we would turn the lost away from the Lord so that they would never be saved. We must be resolved to be stepping stones and not stumbling blocks to the perishing in spite of what they might do to us. And then thirdly and finally we must understand the Christian strength here. You see, the battle that we are in is fierce and very real. When we think of the devil behind it, we might wonder how on earth we could possibly survive it, let alone have victory over it. Because at the end of the day, we are frail, we are feeble, we are fallible, and we are foolish. But again, God has given us the equipment to be victors and not victims. When King Jehoshaphat saw a huge army approaching him, he got before God and he prayed. Second Chronicles chapter 20, it says, O God, we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do. But then he went on to say this, Our eyes are upon thee. His trust was in God, and the Lord rewarded that trust by telling him in verse 15, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great company or this multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. He was encouraged to stand firm and fight. And he was assured then in verse 17, the Lord will be with you. It is said that when Napoleon rode into camp, it was the equivalent of receiving 40,000 reinforcements. Such was the influence Napoleon had on his troops. But you know, friends, God is much mightier than Napoleon. And we fight in God's strength. The battle is the Lord's and we are the Lord's people. But that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Nor does it mean we can stand back and just let the Lord fight for us. God does not fight instead of us. We must fight in the Lord's strength. We are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Our strength must come from the Lord. 
For every trial and tribulation, for every circumstance and situation, there is strength and power supplied by God, and we must use it. His power must become our power. Just as we need his righteousness to enter God's heaven, we also need his strength before we enter into battle. Just as we need his precious blood to cleanse us from all of our sin, we also need his power to stand against the wiles of the devil. How do we get his righteousness and forgiveness and salvation? By trusting in him and not ourselves. And how do we get his power and his strength? Well, by trusting in him and not ourselves. It is all of God. The Bible says, thanks be to God, which gives us us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, every British soldier sent out to war will be equipped with everything he needs from his quartermaster. His boots, his clothing, his webbing, his helmet, his rations, his weapon, his ammunition. It's all supplied to help him succeed in his mission. Money is never an issue. If you've got a hole in your boots or a tear in your trousers, you just went along to the clothing store and you exchanged them for a brand new set or a brand new pair. And in this spiritual warfare that we are in, God is our quartermaster. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He supplies all our needs and it is he who supplies the armour, but it is us who must use what he gives. Do not be afraid, friends, to get involved in this battle. The vast majority of Christians today, you might say, are nothing more than parade square soldiers, dressed up in their shiny boots and neatly pressed trousers, wearing their polished medals, but they have never clothed themselves in camouflage and combats to get into the battle. The battle will be fierce, and you'll get battered and bruised and beaten, And others will see the casualties and they'll run for cover, but you let them run. And they'll have to answer to God for their cowardice. To let Satan gain ground and march unopposed in this war is to deny our allegiance to Jesus Christ. And that's why we preach the gospel at the Sodomite parades. That's why we stand for the unborn children outside the buildings where they murder our little pre-born neighbours. One of my favourite quotes is silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. James says, resist the devil. Resist him. Confront him. But don't ever run away. In verse 12, Paul speaks of wrestling. You know, I grew up watching wrestlers like Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks on television on a Saturday afternoon. And when those big men got into the ring, it always involved personal contact, headlocks and legs twisted and arms entangled. And that is how it is in the spiritual battle. Very often it's a personal affair with no one else involved. Satan will attack us and then we must resist him. When the gladiators met in the Colosseum, they were fighting for their lives. They used every trick in the book to win. And you know, friends, that is what the devil will do to us. This is spiritual wrestling. Whilst we are to resist and not run, circumstances may dictate that the best way to resist will be to run. For example, if Satan sends a beautiful woman to a married man... 
then the best way to resist the devil in that situation is to run for your life and not look back. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he urged them to flee from sexual immorality and idolatry. He told Timothy to flee these things, but then he instructed him to fight the good fight of faith. And these two commands really do mean the same thing. You know, friends, never forget who you were before Christ saved you. Once you were a slave to sin, but Christ has now set you free. If any man be in Christ, the Bible says he is a new creature. Being in Christ, you get your strength from Christ. By ourselves, we are no match for Satan. Imagine you're in a boxing ring facing the heavyweight champion of the world. The situation would be homeless or hopeless. But now imagine you face the same opponent, but this time you're inside a British Army Challenger tank. Your opponent is still the same. You are still the same. But the situation is now different. The situation is now no longer hopeless. You have a special strength now that comes from being inside the tank. Being in a tank is nothing compared to being in Christ. In Christ we are more than conquerors. And nothing is impossible with him. The book of Daniel says the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Here is our greatest strength. Because the more we know God, the stronger we will be in the battle. Therefore, James says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. It is only when we submit to God and draw near to God that we are able to resist the devil and gain victory in the battle. This was David's strength when he faced Goliath. When the Lord returned to heaven, the apostles faced a bitterly hostile world that sought to destroy them and crush their faith. But it was their genuine awareness of God's presence that sustained those men. It says in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 31, when they had prayed... The place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. The apostles' enemy back then is the same enemy that we have today and we must have the same awareness of God if we are to face the enemy. God will not send any of his soldiers lacking the equipment that they need to confront him. He supplies the truth to wear as a belt. He supplies the breastplate to protect the heart. He supplies the boots to protect the feet, the shield to protect the f- from the fiery darts. He supplies the helmet to protect the head and the sword to engage the enemy. The armour is available, but it is up to each one of us to put it on. It will not put itself on, and God will not put it on for us. In verse 11 and in verse 13, Paul instructs us to put it on and to take it on to you. This is a matter of discipline and obedience. No army can function without discipline. In fact, battles are won and lost by the planning and strategy of the generals and by the discipline of the soldiers under their command. An army recruit will spend six months in basic training, being disciplined and learning to be obedient 
Hours and hours and hours will be spent on the drill square, marching and halting and saluting and standing to attention, standing at ease, slope arms, shoulder arms, present arms, until every single soldier obeys without hesitation. In any war, discipline can be a matter of life and death. During the Second World War, when the Luftwaffe came screaming towards London, the air raid uh, sirens blasted right across the city. The the discipline of reacting and rushing to the shelters would have saved many, many lives. The same discipline caused everyone, even the children, to carry gas masks wherever they went. If the gas mask had been left at home, what use would it have been during a gas attack? If this is true when fighting Nazi flesh and blood, then how much more so when we fight against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. When I was training for the Dublin Marathon about 12 years ago, it was still held on a bank holiday Monday in those days. It's now been moved to a Sunday. But when I was training for the marathon, hail, rain or shine, I had to be out there plodding the roads and building up the miles. On a cold, dark morning, it was very easy just to switch the alarm off again and go back to sleep. But I had to be disciplined to succeed. And the Christian has to be disciplined both in preparing for the battle and during the battle to succeed. We've got to be disciplined in our time. And we've got to be disciplined in our prayers. Prayer is not easy. And that's why Christians pray so little. Prayer is the hottest place in any battle. And when you pray, the devil will attack you. So not to give up in prayer means discipline and perseverance. You may not be able to preach. You may no longer have the health and strength to go around the doors, knock the doors and give out tracts on the street for hours and hours. But friend, you can pray. And prayer is the most effective weapon of all. And as we'll see later on this week, this is how we will put the armour on. We've also got to be disciplined in Bible study. The first part of the armour is truth. How do we know the truth? Only by reading and studying God's word. We put the armour on with discipline and obedience. When we've put on the full armour of God, then we are able to stand firm and endure everything that the enemy will throw at us. Paul said, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We will not stand simply because we're saved. We'll not stand simply because uh, we have great interest in truth or in faith or in prayer. You see, this portion of Scripture teaches us that the, the armor of God, it comes as a package. Paul says, take unto you the whole armour of God because we need the whole package. And as good soldiers and members of a church that is at war tonight, then the only way to endure to the end is with the whole armour of God. Our strength for the war we are in comes from God and we need the armour that he provides. And we'll begin to have a look at that, more, at that armour in more detail tomorrow night. 
We'll turn in closing to um, 481, Onward Christian Soldiers Marching as to War, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ the royal banner, or royal master, leads against the foe, forward into battle, see his banners go. We'll stand as we bring this Monday night meeting to a conclusion, 481.